are the sacred collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the Sacred Collective. Um, we're back at it, um, living the best of our quarantine life. Um, and today, via Skype, we have yours truly, Brian. We have Caleb. Say hi, Caleb. Hello, Caleb. <laughs> and then we have Josh Bow, our dearly beloved Josh Bow, um, who is part of the Sacred Collective. And I feel funny Skyping Josh when he lives literally like two miles away from me. But, you know, since we can't see each other in the flesh... Why not? Um, uh, Josh, you kind of, when I asked you if you wanted to be on, you're like, what do we want to talk about? And I was like, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? And Caleb's sneezing like crazy in the background. I can just edit that out if you don't mention it. He's got the corona. Yeah. (laughs) Stay away. You got the corona. Um, But Josh, you were, you wanted to talk about this um, PhD guy, uh, Richard Carrier, and kind of on the historicity of jesus and christianity and then maybe um talk about um you know your christian atheism like you have said that you're a christian atheist so um just jump in and i guess obviously caleb and i will you know ask questions that goes i know we will so have at it um go okay so where to start um so the history of jesus has been a big topic in christianity for over a hundred years. Um, Richard Carrier has written the first peer-reviewed um, like tome on this. That When he actually started this, he thought it was kind of a crank argument to say that there wasn't a real historical Jesus. He didn't think it was something that was – that people who weren't fringe did, that notable, notable scholars wouldn't do. Um, so he, after he got his PhD in 2008 and the economy collapsed, and you can all look this up at richardcarrier.info. Um, he's got, he's got a blog, he's got a couple books. Uh, he does a lot of debates. Um, he's very well spoken. Um, but he just took this topic seriously. Uh, so after, so that was all to say that when he graduated from college in 2008, just like I did with my master's, the economy was in the tank and there were no positions for religious scholars anywhere in the country. And so he had some student debt he wanted to get rid of, and he said, hey, I will put my Ph.D. to good use if you guys can help me raise you know, whatever money it was. I think it was $20,000 to pay off my student loans. And so he did a six-year study on the historicity of Jesus, and he wrote the book on the, history, on the historicity of Jesus, why we might have reason to doubt or for doubt. Um, which he basically his conclusion is that there's a one in three chance that there was a historical Jesus and not like a celestial Jesus or like that. Um, which he 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 still thinks that's a pretty good chance that there really was one. He's not saying that there wasn't one. Um, so that's interesting. But he's the one of the first scholars. There's I think there's twelve mainstream scholars who have gotten kind of gotten behind his view and said, yeah, that's his arguments are valid. We need to look at this seriously. So it's interesting having that because he also dismisses a lot of theories that you find on the internet, bad theories about like, of course, Jesus wasn't real, you know? Um, and he just, he dispels a lot of those myths. Like, so one thing that I actually fell into was uh, like the Mithras thing um, with like Constantine being a Mithraist. And we don't actually have any solid sources that, that he was particularly Mithraist, but also Mithras was not a dying and rising God. He had a passion, but he didn't have a, a dying and rising event. He had no resurrection. But that's something I've heard from a lot of sources that I thought were vetted and verified that weren't. Um, so, I mean, doing your due diligence and like going back, like he has at least his scholarship is solid. So it's something you look at that the biblical community has to take a serious look at and say, well, what do we think about this? And how do we respond? So to put it into context for the listeners, um, you're comparing, you're, you're maybe suggesting that a lot of the uh, the mythos and the detail around Jesus uh, was borrowed from Mythos, this other deity. How do you pronounce it? Is it Mithras? Myth, Mithras, yeah. Uh, so he was a, um, a mystery cult religion in the very in the well, actually I don't know if it was early Roman Empire in the first century, um, but he was kind of um, a, a version of this mystery religion where he 
had secret mysteries. Um, he went through a passion. Um, the passion led him to victory over death. And then he was the way to salvation. Uh-huh. So Ball is one of these gods. We just talked about this, Caleb. <laughs> so I feel like I'm repeating myself. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's a conversation. Um, so there are all these other religions that have, you know, so they have um, initiation through baptism. They have a Eucharist-like ritual where they share a meal together and invite the God and remember the God. Um, they have a passion of some kind. S- several of these are actually dying and resurrecting, being crucified and brought back from the dead three days later um, in most cases. Um, and they just have a lot of elements that are very, you know, like the things we talked about before, they're really non-Jewish, you know, like eating flesh and drinking blood, totally not Jewish. Um, uh, so it's, it's interesting that if you have a mystery religion kind of solid basis, if you were trying to find a Jude, a Jewish form of this mystery religion, Christianity would be it. And it has just a lot of the same elements. So it just mm-hmm. takes the Jewishness and puts it into this, into this other sort of mystery cult. Um, but it's very, it's very interesting. Um, because it, it actually makes sense with this, after you know, it has a few miles on your soul, um, you kind of, you know, you look at some things and you're like, wow, a lot of this shit doesn't make sense at all. It looks like someone just made this stuff up. And then you look back and you're like, oh, people have always been doing that. Uh, and it just keeps happening. It keeps happening and keeps happening. I mean, we have recent examples like Scientology. Like how many Scientologists are there? And literally a fiction writer wrote this religion. Like how crazy is that? Right. But it's a legit religion. That's a religion that is um, recognized by governments. You know, like if it's tax exempt, um, exempt the Mormon Church, the Golden Tablets. Like, are we just supposed to say they're somewhere? You know, it's like the Ark of the Covenant. Like, oh, it's, it's somewhere. But it's like, is it? Is it really? <laughs> Not sure it is. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's fascinating because I think humans are obsessed with stories. And we'll always keep making stories, but we also want stories that have deeper meaning for us and make us more meaningful. And, and the whole personal salvation thing obviously makes makes it very interesting because that appeals to everybody. Not everybody, but most people. Because it makes it special. It makes everyone special. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what Rob Bell would say about all this Mithras BS? That everything is spiritual? Well, yeah. He would just say that... Uh, the truth of Christ resonates throughout humanity and history so strongly that iterations of it are found in other places and echoes of it are found before and after it. And so the reason it resembles Christ is because it resembles a an absolute truth that uh, that is built into, woven into the fabric and composition of our existence. And so, of course, it keeps on popping up. My personal response, thank you for asking, is I don't fucking care. However, <laughs> I, I do find it a fascinating conversation. To the ends of how does this change my day-to-day life, I have no use for it. However, to the ends, I see that, Josh, you fucking asshole. However, to the ends of uh, better understanding myself, the culture around me, and even the artistic, beautiful, uh, fantastical expression of these stories, I deeply invest myself in that. I'm just not sure, honestly, if this conversation is about the historicity, if we're going to sit here and talk about the historicity, or you know, uh, points to for or against the historicity of, of Jesus, then I just don't give a flying fuck. It, you know, nothing personal. Uh, but but as far as, far as uh, I'm just not exact. I guess I'm just not sure <laughs> where this conversation is going. Yeah, I think one thing I'd say about like Rob Bell, like of course this would be before and after, and like why wasn't the first one good enough? Like, I know. Yeah, just- I'm not supporting Rob Bell's argument. I'm just saying it popped in my head. Yeah, it's it's sort of the same thing of saying like everything is divine. Then you're like, well, then what is that word even good for? You know, or if everything's spiritual, then what is that word? Why is that a demarcation? Um, right. It, yeah, it's it's not. It's just not nuanced. It's interesting, but I think the thing that impressed upon me the most is that Christianity is ne- was never one thing. Yeah, and never will. Be. It never will be. It'll okay. always be something different, and it'll always be evolving, and changing. And but I think in 
in theology class and in seminaries were taught that at one point it was one thing. Right. And then it either got better or worse. We don't know which, but it, it's either getting better or getting worse. But at one point it was one thing and it never was. Um, and so that, I think that's one of those, those fallacies that everyone just assumes, but no one checked. Right. <laughs> no one, it's like, it was like the, uh, the collapse in, of the economy in 2008, when everything was being basically just sold on a lie of being like all of these housing bonds are triple A rated, which means the highest rated. And in, in reality, they were bullshit. They were just dog shit wrapped in cat shit. And people were still rating them as if they were actual gold bars. And so everyone was just asleep at the wheel. So there's lots of things in Christian theology and seminaries where we just assume and take for granted yeah. that really no, no one's actually taken a hard look at and said, well, what about that? Right. And so when you get certain people who are doing that, everyone just attacks them and accuses them. Where in the 70s, one scholar came out and said that Noah, Abraham, and Moses weren't real actual people. They were metaphors or they were, you know, you know, they weren't real people, but they were stories. Amalgamations. Yep. And, um, or, you know, close to a person that existed, but not real. Um, and in the 70s, that guy... I mean, he was railroaded. He got fired from his job. He uh, couldn't get a job at a university. His articles were, you know, wouldn't be taken seriously by journals. Um, people would discredit his work. Um, and now that's the consensus view. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's just that the first person through the wall always gets bloody. Yeah. I would like to make a slight clarification for a statement I made earlier that you're kind of reminding me of now with this talk about uh, other uh, historical uh, Abrahamic figures. Um, when I say I don't give a fuck, it's not because it is not of importance to me. It's more of the Thomas, the doubting Thomas, Thomas, the, the disciple stance of like, it's not here in front of me, dude. Like I am not going to discredit or let go of or devalidate the experiences that I have had with Christianity and with the, or the, the collection of experiences that I've come to associate with Christ and with this archetype of love, that is of utter importance to me. But as far as putting my foot down and saying this happened or did not happen, I can't help but defaulting to the position of Thomas and saying, unless I can touch it, I wasn't there. And guess what? If there is an all-powerful God, I was not intended to be there. I was not intended to be able to witness the things firsthand or put my finger in the scars. You know, oh, sure. and so, so I just wanted to clarify just real quick that I, I am concerned with, with uh, I, I am uh, fascinated by these things, but the, the veracity of them, I, I don't, I can't invest too much emotional energy in because no amount of research, like I have to become fucking Indiana Jones, you know, running around <laughs> chasing down fossils and stuff. To, to have any sort of a suspicion that I could say, oh, yeah, I saw this firsthand. I can validate or, 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 or deny oh, sure. that. And I, I, think, I think the Christian world is well, – I'm sorry. I, I'm, just one thing, Ben. I think the Christian me, world – Me and Josh are talking, Brian. <laughs> I think the Christian world is waking up to um, validating whatever faith tradition you're part of as long as it's meaningful to you and it brings, brings you something that makes you a better person. Like go do that. It's like my neighbors are Muslim and they're doing Ramadan right now. And I don't know much about Ramadan. So I just started to ask questions and they were super surprised that a white dude who they just assume is a Christian is interested at all. So like I looked up traditional Ramadan gifts and it's mostly nuts, dates and like dark chocolate and stuff like that. So I brought him over like a little care package for Ramadan and was just like, Hey, I'd actually like to know more about this. And my neighbors aren't like strict religious Muslims at all. They're very nominal, but they observe Ramadan a lot like most Christians observe Christmas. Yeah. You get together with family and you do gifts and it's, it's, it's just interesting, but I'm sure there, if, if I were to grill him on his, his Muslim faith, he wouldn't fucking know anything. Right. He'd be like, I, I guess it happened. Like, I don't know. You know, mm. I don't think it would matter that much to him because it's much more about his culture, family, and where he came from that exactly. has me. Versus, like, did it really happen? Yeah. Hey, can, can I be part of this conversation with you two cool people? <laughs> please. Yeah, please. Uh, no. Please well, clap the place up. Yeah, um, I, I'll try. Thank you very much. No, um, 
when Josh actually told me about him, because I hadn't heard about this individual, Dr. Carrier, um, you know, I, and I, you told me, Josh, what video to watch, so I watched that one on YouTube. And, I mean, it was a really interesting conversation. And, and like, he, like what Josh said, I mean, the guy's freaking, you know, a brainiac and, and, and smart. But a lot of what he was saying, at least for me, was stuff that I already knew, kind of like the syncretism of, you know, early Christianity, you know, Hellenized, how Christianity, you know, so many Christians, like at least on probably a lot of the ways we grew up in the evangelical world or Josh that you converted to um, from Catholicism, um, you know, it's always like, oh, you know, Christianity did this or Christianity was first. Um, but when you go f- back far enough, just within the history of like the formation of the Bible and all these stories, you do find out that Christianity borrowed a lot from other um, people group, other religions. Um, and the one thing that this Dr. Carrier talked about, and I think it was like to the Gotham Atheist Association or something like he was talking to, was that like almost all of the, almost all the things within Christianity ties very parallel to um Zor- zoroastrianism uh on on just what those people believed and what christians believed it was almost like side by side but then you know i i saw that and i don't feel that you know that professor was kind of in a way of of saying you know all this stuff you know christians say is you know definitively christian this is why jesus is but you have all this history to prove that Christianity took this from, you know, other religions or other people groups and so on and so forth. And I'm kind of like you in a way, Caleb, where part of me is like, I just don't have the mental fortitude or emotional fortitude to even really care. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good conversation at the end of the day. You know, I, I always tell, you know, people like I'm at least to me agnostic on that. Like, do I believe Jesus was real and existed yeah because i have my own faith reasons for doing that if you said you had to write some treaty out to prove the existence i'd be like no i don't i can't and i won't because i don't think i could um and and so i you know i was telling josh the other day i'm like i don't want to have debates anymore now i'm not saying we're having a debate i said i like having a discussion and a conversation because i feel like our world's really kind of you know out of gas when it comes to having debates with people like we can have discussions and we can say good things or bad things or whatever i just want to have an interesting conversation about something whether i agree with it or not um but yeah no i think and i i kind of was telling josh yesterday we were texting and i was like i just think i disagree with the certain professor's um methodology just kind of like how he starts um his his process on that totally respect a guy you know i looked up some of his books and i mean the guy's a brainiac but i just think he's he's at a starting point on on his scholarship that i'm i couldn't even get to just because of you know own personal um, reasons which is fine but i do think it's fascinating that we need to um you know sit down not necessarily us but people in general need to sit down and wrestle with these things and people need to wrestle with that you know christianity isn't just this one religion that kind of came out of nowhere and you know wasn't influenced by anything because all religions have been influenced by other religions or by other people groups i mean that's just that's just a fact yeah part of all of this that's interesting for me is that i always thought that if i could get closer to the early church and figure out what they did that i'd somehow get closer to like true christianity right you know, dick, dick finger quotes um for some reason i thought if i knew what they believed because they were so close to jesus i would just be a better christian i think um so i was always more interested in the truest form and so even now like i was still interested and fascinated to see how the church actually came to be the way I was not trying to construct it, what I was trying to uncover. So like, um, so like the Greek word for truth doesn't mean like, is it right or wrong? It, it actually means to unveil. Asaleomai means to unveil. So it's like unwrapping a present. Like, what is it? It's a surprise. Um, and I feel like 
I've still got that curiosity where I'm still looking for the truth of that unveiling of what it is. And I don't think anyone's really done the legwork. Um, and maybe, I don't think I probably will. I don't think I have like the resources or, or necessarily the time because I have to work a full-time job because we're the working class. We're not, you know, like a rich folks. But, um, and they don't have access to resources that I would need, like a lot of early first century documents, which are, you know, kept at very prestigious universities that they'll probably never let me in anyway. <laughs> but even if I wrote like the definitive book on it, they'd be like, yeah, but he calls himself a Christian atheist. So he already started, you know, in a bad place and moved on. And it's like, yeah, but when I started this thing, I was earnest as fuck. Right. You know? um, it was like the most important thing in my life. I mean, so much so that I like, I screwed up some relationships that I had in college because I was like, you're not as interested in truth as I am. You know, like I was that asshole, like <laughs> uh, just bad. Um, but I feel like I've gotten to a point now where like, I'm like, I'm really interested in this stuff and there's not much out there. Like there's just not much scholarship out there that, that, is about that. And like, I just care about it because I think it's, I think it's super interesting because Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Right. And you're, you are not approaching your research with the motivation of finding this, you know, Gnostic, this, you know, smoking gun or something or like, you know, not trying to. Well, yeah. Well, my point, yeah, true that too. But my point was more so you're, you're not searching for this hidden truth for this Gnostic key that will unlock the gates of heaven for you. You're not trying to find this on a spiritual level. You are intrigued and curious intellectually. Um, My question then, and maybe Brian, you might have a little bit more insight into this um, just because in all truth, you're the the three of us are all very interested in Christianity and very immersed in Christianity in our own ways. Uh, But Brian, you're probably closer to the mainstream um, uh, current form of Christianity than, than Josh or I just incidentally. And so I'm curious what implications does the historicity of Jesus have on faith? If someone's faith fully falls apart, if they find out that an aspect of this historic or this story that they were told is historical, if they find out a certain part of it falls apart or doesn't hold water or was mistranslated or was exaggerated, then does does that necessarily have to collapse somebody's faith or their experience with the divine? I mean, I think it 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 is different for everyone um, and everyone's faith journey, but I also think I think it goes down to. Um, evangelical, you know, kind of more right-wing kind of conservative type people. I mean, I have people in my own family, extended and, you know, close-knit family. I mean that everything is black and white, you know. Christianity is this standalone religion that, you know, was poof, came out of nowhere. And even if you show them the historical background of, like, for instance, like, the creation narrative that we have, we borrowed big parts of it from the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, at least a couple thousand years before Christianity. And 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 so in like one of our professors at our seminary that we went to, it was like it is like almost world renowned in that. But you tell you tell that to certain Christians and they're like, No, 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 no. Like our our faith is like it has to be like this, and if not, then their faith would crumble. And I'm part of, you know, a mainline denomination where, you know, I feel, and I can't say for everyone, like I said, every everyone's faith is their own and they understand it in their way. I mean, I have people even in my own church who are like, yeah, I don't even really believe Jesus is real. I don't really believe, you know, that what Christianity is. I come to church because of the community. I mean, I've had pastors pretty much tell me that... Um, that they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in heaven, um, they don't really believe in, you know, a literal crucifixion, but they're, like what Josh said, like, they're intrigued with the story of, of Christianity, of Jesus, the disciples. And then you have people, you know, like me, who I'm like, and I've said to people at my church, I've said to, you know, people on my ordination track, I'm like, yeah, I'm a universalist, that's where I'm at, a Christian universalist, I don't believe in hell, I don't whatever, and I don't get any pushback, they're like, okay, cool, great. Because to them, your theology 
isn't as important as like how you treat others they're like oh are you totally. accepting of it you know are like are you inclusive of the GLBTQ community no well this isn't probably the denomination for you are you know do you want to you know be a, a, an ally for you know of being anti-racist and you know and and you know open to immigration that's what like my denomination is more open for but like i said i feel like more of the evangelical type faith streams are the ones who you know get butt hurt when you 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 know question things and i mean i have a lot of you know animosity to people in my own you know extended family who i mean literally have told me i'm not a christian because i don't believe in hell or that i believe you know god's you know christ's grace is you know whatever so again i mean like i said you know i think it is different from person to person but i also think it really draws down that line of that faith stream if you're more left-leaning or liberal or if you're conservative because you're obviously going to look at you know interpretation of scripture you know the historicity of jesus and all you know different ways yeah well, I think that's interesting too. The the faith argument of that is like we're not trying to change people's minds because no one's going to change their mind. Like, there's been so many studies about. Do you remember that cult that wrote the 88 reasons the world's going to end in 1988? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And it then didn't? they changed their whole religion to do something else because they'd, they'd so much rather be right than be wrong that they're willing to just change their opinions. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think that's ever going to change. You know, an, an interesting thought comes to my head is that I kind of cringe when I use this phrasing, but I'd say I've been going through deconstruction. Ah, oh God, I don't know. Over a decade, but like specifically saying, does this doctrine make sense or does this historically make sense? Does that make sense? And in that process, a lot of things have fallen away. A lot. I'm not going to lie. People who knew me in high school compared to knowing me now, especially when I was you know, a, a youth group worship leader, the things that I would say I believe then compared to now, very, very different. However, I can also confidently say that the things that have remained in my actions and in how I treat people have not only remained, but probably I would – I don't want to – you know speculate about my own actions and behaviors but i would think that people would say that friends who know me would say that those attributes have strengthened and increased that i feel like i am living a more christ-like loving graceful accepting life now that these concerns with historicity and with literalism literal interpretation of the bible now that those things have been stripped away people always talk about what do you reconstruct post-deconstruction. There are still things that remain very strong in me. I have a strong passion. I would love to, you know, to, to pastor a church one day, maybe. You know, I would love to to write some books and stuff. And, and, and that passion for what I refer to in my lexicon as a Christ-like heart, a Christ-like behavior, a Christ-like life remains. And these other incidental things that now seem nothing but silly have been stripped away these silly arguments was the six day creation you know was it uh it was was it the big bang all all this the 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 textbook day one deconstruction stuff you know that has been fully stripped away what i'm left with i feel very confident about you know, and you always hear the slippery slope argument. I'm happy that I slipped right down that slope to where I am because the things that remain are very strong to me and cannot be shaken by any evidence, you know, historical or otherwise. And I mean, I just want to jump in too is, you know, I've probably been on that same path with you of deconstruction to, I don't know, probably at least as long as you, Caleb, if I'm honest with myself. But I, I think what's wrong with i don't want to you know i don't want to paint a broad broad stroke with a brush but i think there's so many different streams within christianity that doesn't give individuals the time to question whether that questioning is deconstruction whether that questioning is reconstructing whether that maybe that means you're an atheist for a while maybe that means you're agnostic maybe 
um, you know, what, you know, whatever. And, and I've always told people and I, and, and my, a lot of people know who listen, my brother's a Baptist, uh, pastor. And one time I told him, I said, you're in the, you're in the business of conversion. I'm in the business of conversation. Cause for me, I don't care about, I don't care about conversion. I don't care about, oh, this person got saved or they're going to heaven. I said, for me, it's more about conversation because I feel I feel that's actually more biblical, you know, than someone going out and be like, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus, then you're going to go burn in hell. But I, I think, you know, there there's a healthy place for in everyone's life for doubt, you know, and, and especially in Christianity. I think there's a place for lament and understanding suffering. And these are so many aspects within the church that we don't tell people about, but they're actually scriptural. They're actually biblical. Mm. And that is my huge issue as the longer I become a Christian. And even in, you know, mainline liberalism, you you don't even really talk about lament. I preached a sermon on lament once a couple of years ago, and people came up to me crying, and they're like, oh, I needed to hear that. I needed, thank you for, for giving me permission to do that. And I'm like, I didn't give you permission to do that. The scripture did thousands of years ago. But when people aren't, you know, told about that, that they have permission to to doubt, to deconstruct, um, and if they want to reconstruct, that's the part that irks me is like, why, you know, why don't, why can't we do that? And there's a lot of us, I think a lot of us who are part of Sacred Collective, who are part of Revolution and, and other things, like, we're all okay with doing that, but yet there's so many other people who are in in the midst of that, like... WTF, what am I doing? Like, wh- how, you know, I don't believe in Jesus the same way or I might not believe in Jesus at all. What do I do, you know? Yeah. Interesting. And there are spaces for those people, but they're hard to find. I'll say that. Oh, very true. Well, I think we're all making our own spaces. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Um, well, we are. And I think we're doing the same thing the church fathers did. We're doing the same thing that early theologians, they were doing the same thing that theologians have done since since biblical times. I don't think that's weird or strange. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that uh, we we just haven't had a tradition of that being normal, even though it has been the norm. Like, if you look at every era of theology, there's always a trend of some kind that's going on, but there's there hasn't been a name for it maybe yet or a because like we call it deconstruction now or reconstruction and i think i'm kind of doing a both and um because like the christian story is still deeply meaningful to me um does it make my life better yeah i think it does Uh, does it make me a better person yes i think it does i don't i don't think there's I think had I not heard the teaching of Jesus, would I do what I do now or want to help other people? Probably just from popular culture, but that's because our popular culture is so inundated with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if our culture was inundated with Buddhism or, you know, uh, Islam, like there are people on all of those fronts that I'm, I'm not well versed in that I, I don't have a friend who's, I have some friends who dabble in Buddhism, but I don't have a friend who's like, Buddhist. right. You know, I, I have some friends who were raised uh, Muslim and, you know, um, they're regular Americans, you know, they're not doing more or less than anybody else. Sure. Um, but I think also because they're only 2% of the population of America, they're kind of behind the scenes because if they're seen evangelizing, they're seen as a threat versus where like a Christian church can open up anywhere and it's just fine. Yeah. Um, if you open up a mosque, you know, in, you know, downtown Omaha, I think you probably have a lot harder time convincing people that you were trying to do good than you would in like New York city, for example, or, um, or even Minneapolis or St. Paul. Yeah. So true. But I don't, I don't uh, think those faiths are lesser than Christianity, but uh, at the same time, like just saying that makes me anathema to so many Christians, you right. know, being like, Oh, well, you're saying their faith is equal. And it's like, no, the, the meaning that they derive from their religion is, I, I feel similar, comparable. Um, 
and you can get extremes on both sides. Like you get, you know, really right wing, you know, far right people who are, you know, Nazis who still are very, very Christian in their opinion. And a lot of other Christians wouldn't think that would be Christian. Uh-huh. Yeah. For sure. But it's the same thing with Islam, like, because everyone just throws, you know, Islam under the bus and is like, well, look what ISIS does. And it's like, yeah, they do some pretty awful shit. But uh, America's done some pretty awful shit, too. America's just really bad at acknowledging our failures. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Paradiso, City on a Hill sort of thing. Um, you know, Manifest Destiny we talked about earlier a little bit, Caleb. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, we're the ones who are right, so we need to help everybody else. And it's, I think there is a strain of Christianity that has always been very in tune with other religions, other cultural specifics and being like, keep doing that. That's great. What can, what can we learn from you too? We can learn from each other. I think that's always been there, but that hasn't been the forefront because it's because Christianity has been so intertwined with politics and power that if it can't get me power or can't get me something I want, then it's, it's useless. Uh-huh. That's so dangerous. And that's the sort of Christianity that I think the three of us collectively would say that that's a dangerous space. Oh, absolutely. It ultimately says we're right. And if you're not like us, we'll, we'll bash your brains in. Uh-huh. Well, and, and I've, I've, you guys follow me on Instagram. I've done since we're all freaking quarantine. I work two days and then I'm off six days, which is nice, but you kind of get bored sometimes. Um, and I do a thing called quarantine theology where it's just, you know, you know, all my years of think, you know, being in seminary, reading books and all this stuff. But in the one that I just posted was, you know, you know, Jesus was, you know, anti-capitalistic, you know, anti-empire, anti um, patriotism, all, all these antis and I'm like even anti-religion, you know, and I was like, it, it, but yet so how many, how often even within our own country in America, do we see, you know, so many Christians, that's what they're indebted to, you know, that's what they're tied into where, you know, God put this president or this politician in place and we've become so married into that. And when I tell people, like, no, when you look at scripture, Jesus made fun of the political elite, you know, get, yeah, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Like, you put, you know, a, a face on a coin because in the Jewish tradition, you never put a, a, a person's face or an, or an animal's face, like, on a coin. So, in a way, Jesus was mocking that. And so, Christians go back and they're like, oh, yeah, that's why you're supposed to give tithes and offerings and pay your taxes. And I'm like, you don't even understand that Jesus was saying that sarcastically. It was like, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, I said, and Jesus was really anti-religion. And people are like, well, no, well, I mean, Christianity. I'm like, but Christian, Jesus never intended Christianity to be a religion. He wanted it to be an, an understanding, a way of life, like a, a, like a, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to even put a word, but just like, like I, I had a teacher in seminary where it was like, we're supposed to be mimetic people, like, which is literally like mimicking Jesus in his teachings. And throughout the centuries and throughout the you know millennia we've had so many people come in and are like oh that's really what jesus wanted or this is what jesus wanted or we've put our own little flair in there and we've actually diluted the the rebelliousness and the revolutionary i don't know understanding that jesus is and that's personally for me where i'm trying to get at is i'm like i don't care about paul or peter or the gospels yeah those are fascinating stories and fascinating people but they're not jesus and I'm like, and, and I'm trying to mimic my life off of Jesus, not these people in the Old or New Testament. Like I said, those people are important. Their stories are important. But at the end of the day, I care more about what Jesus said about people and humanity than part of my friends, the dumb shits in scripture. Well, I think that's what people have always done. We just have more access to things than we used to. And we can talk to each other. So like, people who may be on the fringe, like if Rob Bell were in the early church and he started talking about no hell, um, he probably would have like, none of his writings would have survived. He would have been like Marcion and everyone would just destroy his writings because he doesn't have the political power to keep those writings going. Yeah. Um, but we don't have that anymore. We're lucky. 
um, in that way. But also the the part that makes us lucky also makes us so fucked because you can find a view for scripture to support anything. Yeah, right. And it's so frustrating because we don't have a, a guiding light. We don't have a lighthouse anymore. We don't have something we can all look to and say, all right, so how should we do it? Or how can we get close to it? Like we, And I think there are lots of folks who are trying to do that, who are trying to be like, well, as long as you know, you have love in your heart and you're trying to help people, that's, that's closer to, right. to doing this and something else. We have those little things, but you can't point to someone. Like I can't. I can't point to anyone in our culture right now that I'd be like, that's the, doing the Christian stuff. Like other, other than bad Christians, like <laughs> what I mean by that are like televangelists and like um, you know uh, mega church pastors and you know people who are getting fat stacks of cash for basically making Jesus as sanitized as possible and just trying to sell hope that isn't real. Mm, yeah, and like like I don't I don't know the last time I saw someone speak or watch them on the internet where I was like that's real hope. That's like, cause we all want that, but like, I can't even point to one thing. Can you, can you guys, can either of you? No, nothing. No. Oh, when's the last time? Like, so this is a stupid term, but when's the last time you were inspired by somebody? Jay Baker, honestly. That's when I was going to say the same. I was going to say Jay too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I've been inspired by Jay for a while and that's what, about three years ago led to me moving to Minnesota and doing what I'm doing right now was the degree to which I was inspired by Jay. Uh, that's, yeah, that's my quick answer. Well, would you have a specific time? Uh, specific time. I guess maybe partially coming to terms with my own sexuality and him being a face that was already established in the kind of uh, fringe, punk evangelical world and just talk, and also, you know, talking so much about grace, um, and just doing it in in such a bold way is how it came across that was so attractive to me. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know a, a, a specific date, but uh, I mean, it, it definitely came to a uh, a culmination when I moved here in uh, September, I guess, of uh, 2017. Yes. How many winters have you been here? This is my third winter. Yeah, after two, you're Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. You you have you have your official Minnesota card. Oof. Yeah. After two, the first one, the first one, you're just a, you're just visiting. The second one, if you stay through it, you're 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 here. I think I think for me, I would agree too with Jay. I mean, there's been a lot of people along the way who um, gives hope. You know, um, I mean, yeah, I can remember not a definitive day, but I can remember where I saw Jay and how old I was and where I went. I mean, I went to North Central University. Well, you know, it's somebody's a god, and I have that at least denominational heritage with Jay of being somebody's a god. And he was actually um, uh, at actually an AG church brought him in. Um, to come speak, because at that time, if I'm not mistaken, Jay was trying to talk to North Central and others to, because to, the longer story short was one of the skyways that um, North Central has and built, Jim and Tammy Faye, his parents gave the money to the school to build. Um, and then once the scandal happened back in the 80s, North Central took the, all, like the plaque on all around campus and everything like that and was like, nope. You know, like, you guys, you know, fell from grace, blah, blah, blah. And Jay was trying to come back to be like, hey, water under the bridge. You know, let's, you know, we're Christians. Let's move beyond that. But then he was also, um, and as somebody's a God church up here in the Twin Cities, just came in and were like, hey, you're all about grace. You know, you're this big person. Your family is in this, you know, denomination. And here, I, you know, he, you know, he was many years younger i was many years younger but here was this guy in his first book um son of a preacher man it just came out and here you know was this stuffy really evangelical church and he was up there just this badass punk rock guy you know like jean jack coat you know with his chain wallet tatted up and i think i remember going up to him and showing him my tattoos i had like two tattoos <laughs> and i was like hey man i like your tattoos 
And but then, and I, and I still say to Jay to this day, it's like you gave me permission without even knowing it that I could still believe in Jesus and still be punk rock and still be tatted up and you know look a certain way or think a certain way and still be okay. So I think he has been one of those individuals that have been like, yes, you know, I, I can do that. And there's been a ton of authors, you know, that have given me hope that I don't think that they spew shit. Um, a lot of the liberation theologians, uh, you know, have given me hope. Um, definitely thinks the question. Um, even Scotty, you know, my, you know, a lot of our mutual friend, me and him vehemently disagree in a lot of things, but, you know, he's probably, besides my wife, one of the only people that just puts up with my shit and I put <laughs> up with his and I put up with his and we try to mimic Jesus's love, you know, to each other. Um, so we, we need those people in our lives, but I think we our, our whole thing is we think we've all been influenced by Jay and his, you know, positive message. I can, I can say that. Um, so I didn't know Jay at all. I just knew him from afar, but I remember reading the article, son of a preacher man in uh, Rolling Stone magazine. Yep. Me too. That was still really secular and I raised Catholic, but still secular and reading that and being super inspired to be like, Christians are cool. Um, in a weird way. But then w- the thing that I was pointing to, do you remember the, the church service where Jay just didn't give a sermon? Yeah. At Revolution. Revolution, you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So me and Angela came and we were doing our series, Two Atheists Go to Church. And I don't think that really had anything to do with it. But um, Jay just got up there and was like, I'm just, I just can't do this. And that was so fucking courageous to just be like, I can't do this right now because I'm not right. And I need to not lead people and go get some fucking help. I thought that mm. was so courageous. And I've, tr- I've tried to say that to Jay a couple of times, and I don't know if it's fallen or not. So, Jay, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate what you do. Um, and I thought that was so brave. Because um, even pastors like Rob Bell, who, like, you know, someone said before an Easter service, he had a, you know, he, he's like, I don't believe in God right now. And his friends were like, well, what would you do? And he's like, well, I went and preached a sermon. And Jay had the integrity to take himself out of the game and say, I don't feel like I can do this right now because I don't feel like I'm going to inspire you on the way you need to be inspired. Like, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that. And so we did, we, I don't think we've ever done a critique of, or not a critique, a review of, <laughs> um, of, of revolution. Um, but I mean, I, I know I mentioned it uh, a bunch of times just because it was, it was really powerful to see someone with that kind of clout and not, I mean, you know, he's not the most famous pastor in the world, but like someone who has quite a following, especially with the, like the queer community. Yeah. Um, so like actually Jay and Angela talk a lot on Instagram. Angela's my wife. For those of you who don't know, um, they talk a lot on Instagram and my brother-in-law um, is gay and his husband obviously is gay. <laughs> um, <gasps> and they, they have a huge admiration for Jay Baker because of what he did in the, or what for, for what Tammy Faye did in the eighties. And then what Jay continued to do to be a voice for the, right. for those folks. Um, and they kind of view him as like a pretty big celebrity. Um, so like, my brother-in-law was like, you talk to Jay Baker? And I was like, yeah, I see him sometimes even. He's like, oh, my God. It's just, it's just weird to me how different communities react. But in the gay yeah. community, Jay's uh, a pretty big deal. And that's great. And because he, he was someone who has had not a lot of power, per se, but a, a, a larger voice than most people. Yeah, right. And to be able to stand up for folks who didn't have a voice, like, that's pretty damn inspiring. Totally. And... It's like, and he doesn't make a big deal about it, which is so cool because it's part of part of him. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. And I've I love Jay to death. He's one super close to me. And I wish I could do you know go to Revolution where I've said this to Jay and you, Caleb. Just but with you know within the UCC, doesn't always make it um, as easy. And when you have a little kid running around um, (laughs) with no daycare or childcare, it makes it difficult to. But just just the number of people that uh, Jay's inspired, whether through Revolution, his books, by talks. I mean, 
going on CNN talking about, you know, Soul Force. And I mean, I mean, I remember watching on YouTube the service where he went and literally just said that he was gay affirming. And he was a, it was a Southern church. It was almost an all black church. Yeah. Grace community church. And, and if you know, any, and what Scotty says at the best, he's like, it's very ballsy to go into a, a Southern church and be uh, almost a black church where it's not as accepting to be queer in the black community. And therefore at that point to say that you're open and affirming and accepting. And he's like, I don't know if Jay did that purposely, but he's like, that sent reverberations not just within the queer community, but even in the black, you know, community to be like, here I am. I, you know, and Jay said it numerous times, he lost a lot of funding, a lot of his staff lost everything. He lost everything. But I think that's why now so many people are coming back. Not, not that they ever left, but to be like, this person practices what he preaches. And like what you said, Josh too, like how many pastors, go up and preach bullshit sermons and they have nothing in the tank, but they're like, Oh, I'm supposed to, I have to. And then Jay literally has been like, I like that time. Like, I think I've been there twice where he's like, I guys, I can't do it. I'm tired. One time it was like, let's go out to eat. I think, I don't know. I think it was one time before Caleb, like you even moved up here. It was like me and one other person. And that other person left after he knew that the service wasn't going to start. And Jay looked at me, he's like, you want to just go to a restaurant and hang out and talk? And I'm like, yeah. And I thought that was awesome because he could have been like, I'm just going to go home and just go back to bed. But he was like, hey, let's just go out and have food. And I don't know. I just I just think that just shows the character of him. And, I mean, this isn't the Jay, you know, happy hour, you know, whatever. But I do think all of us have that affinity for Jay and what he's done just to help out our whether faith life or just our life in general and and whatnot. Jay, 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 Woo. Jay. Give me a, we all, we're all going to have to go to the tattoo parlor and get Jay's face tattooed somewhere on us. <sighs> okay, no. That sounds um, weird. I, I know. know. Josh, started I with the history of Jesus and moved into we all love Jay Baker. <laughs> um, I wanted to just say this last thing because I got to go to bed soon because I have to be up at the ass crack of dawn. Um, just maybe like in a five minute six minute whatever because you said on actually meet your congregation through revolution i listened to it the other day which was very good i loved um you and angela's openness and frankness about everything but you talked that you were a christian atheist i understand what christian atheism is but for our listeners could you maybe just say what christian atheism is and isn't and why it's okay to be that I would not say I'm an authority on this <clears throat> at all, um, but I would say just through my experience. Um, so I'm not a believer, um, but I've said this many times before. The Christian story is just so deeply meaningful for me that I'm not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I'm not angry at the church. I'm not angry at the story of Christianity. Um, and I think it has a lot to still teach me. Um, I just don't happen to believe in the supernatural parts of it. Um, it's pretty much that simple. Like I've plenty of Christian friends and plenty of atheist friends. And like, I don't have a problem bringing them together. Um, people are people. They respond to kindness and to goodness and to stress. And if they need help, we help them regardless of, you know, what they are. So like, me and Angela taking multiple people into our homes after they've got divorced or had, you know, um, adverse experiences or experienced homelessness. And we can't do it all the time. We can't help everybody. But when we can help, we try. Uh, we try to do that. And that, I think, is part of the Christian part of the atheism. Um, because we don't know anything else. Like, it could also be Buddhist atheism or Hindu atheism. <laughs> sure. Or it could be any of those things but helping the stranger taking care of the person that doesn't have anyone else taking in refugees like all these things that our faiths are supposed to do um why can't we do it just because we don't believe and why like (laughs) i think the one question people ask usually is like well you're not going to get into heaven for this (laughs) so what are you doing it for we're like because we're people who have struggles too. And we would love for someone to take us in if the same thing happened to us. 
Right, absolutely. That's it. That's it's simple. That's it. If if I were in this position, how would I want or need someone to help me? Yeah. And we just try to do that. And but in our case, it's been a Christian background. Um, so that's why we call it Christian atheism. If we were if we were raised Muslim, it'd be Muslim atheism, or if we were Hindu, Hindu atheism. Um, and I'm not versed in those other religions. I mean, I took lots of religious studies classes in college, but that does not make me an expert by any means. I've got a very rudimentary um, knowledge of those things. But there's something at the heart of humanity, not just religion, that I think really wants to help other people be themselves and be human. Mm-hmm. And there's an inherent dignity there that I think we all want and we all want to project and we all want to help create that for others. And that's wonderful. Um, but to just call it one religion or another, like it's, and it's the same thing as being like, well, it's, it's democratic love or Republican love. It's like, well, those are ideologies too. They're not religions. Technically uh, they could be, you could easily quantify them as religions, but um we're not just going to stand by and let the world go to shit. We're not going to stand by and let people suffer needlessly when we have an extra room or we have extras to give. Like the, you know, I don't remember who said it, but he said the extra shoes in your closet is belong to those people who don't have them. Um, and I think that's true. Like I think the way, so at the food shelf that I run, um, I consider all the food that's in the food shelf does not belong to me, even though I had a hand in purchasing it. It belongs to the community. It belongs to those who need it. So if they come in, I don't care if they're trying to take advantage of us. If they were like, well, we want extra. Okay, you can have extra. It belongs to you in the first place. It's not my job to mitigate that kind of stuff. And I don't think I should spend my time wasting my time on those little minute points. And that's, I think, a lot of what people have an issue with with theology. They're like, well, how do you think about the Trinity in the third century? And you're like, what? Why does that matter? Why does that matter at all? <laughs> so true. Um, yeah. Well, I want to know because I will donate to your food shelf if you have the same understanding as me of the Trinity in the third century. And you're like, that is some stupid ass bullshit that I don't have time for. So why don't you just go donate that food to the dumpster and then we'll right. figure it out ourselves. <laughs> Josh, thank you. Um, and Caleb too. It's always, it's always a blast. And stop. It's so good to see you too. Like actually see your faces. I know. I know seriously. It's been so long. I, I've actually, uh, I've missed, I've missed all of us hanging out. I've and it's funny cause I've had Caleb and I have talked a lot cause we've done a lot of the podcasts, but back-to-back days josh texted me and then eric has texted me and and you know you were like hey i miss you buddy and then eric's like i miss you i miss the sacred collective people and i'm like and i love this community that we started but i do think the quarantine (laughs) is kind of getting to all of us where we're like let's get the hell out of here and let's go back to normal which i don't think it's going to happen for a while um because shit's getting worse um but because I mean, at least for the next two weeks at work, I don't work full time. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But the Lord Himself. Who is the Lord? That is the question. Does the Lord exist? Does the Lord exist? Next time. Part two. All right. See you guys later. Have a good night. Love you all. Love you guys. Night, brothers. Love you. Night. Night. Bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN. If you enjoyed this show, you might enjoy Revolution Church with me, Jay Baker. Looking back for me, like one thing I don't do is I don't make my kids go to, to church because I was made to go to church. And I'm, sometimes I wonder, like, was I brainwashed to believe everything I believe? You know? If I had a free choice, would that have been different? So I don't force my – I mean I take them when, I, when their mom can't take them on Sundays. They ask me questions about God and stuff like that, and I give them my best understanding. So that's something that I've tried to change with how my parents did it.
You know, I think that there there's something being done wrong. Being in an environment where it is reinforced by the authorities, you have to be this way, you know, and that this is right and this is not. When a caterpillar is going to become a butterfly, it's not smushed into a butterfly mold and then it comes out a butterfly. You nurture it and you feed it and it lives and it grad, you know, whenever it's ready to, it becomes a butterfly. We're doing the work we're doing now is because yeah. we saw that. We're not going to dip abandon ship. You know, we're going to stay in it and try to fix it. That was a post-Christian podcast. <laughs>